High Definition Digital Radio broadcasting from the city to the world. www.cityworldradio.com Good afternoon. Welcome to Intelligent Talk with Ralph McElvenny. Join us every Thursday at 5 p.m. on the City World Radio Network as we discuss topics in politics, art, and current events. We're here today with Avner. Uh, how do I pronounce your name? Is it Avner Avrahan? Uh, Avner? Yes, Avner so, Avrahan. So we're very pleased to have Avner Avrahan. And Avner um, was in the Mossad. He was an acting uh, service Mossad officer. Obviously, the Mossad is the Israeli intelligence service. And he took it basically upon himself to almost, you can correct me if I'm wrong, to be the, basically the de facto Mossad historian on the the Eichmann abduction, which was the famous abduction of Adolf Eichmann, 1960, Argentina, one of the main people behind the final solution, and who was living under a, a false name working at a Mercedes plant in Argentina. It's a fascinating story, and I've been interested in it for many years. And Avner also curated an exhibition about it, and I want to ask him all about that as well. But if I could just say, Avner, thank you so much for coming on the program today. My pleasure. So if I could just ask you, you were involved first with a museum that you curated um, the, the, about the Mossad operation. Could you tell me the name of the museum, please, you work with to do the exhibition? Uh, the Museum of Jewish People in Tel Aviv. Museum of Jewish Actually, People. It's, yes, it's the main Jewish uh, museum in the world. Okay. And, uh, and the Mossad is um, cooperating with him, with, with this museum, and also with the Mott Museum in Cleveland. The what museum, sir? Mr. Maltz, his Maltz Museum in Cleveland. Okay. And, um, is, it's it, a corporation, yes. Is the exhibition still going? I've seen pictures of it, or, or is, it, is, it, is it still uh, going now, or is it ended? Yes. Okay, so, so the exhibit is very, it's a, it's a, it's a huge exhibition. It's 5,000 square feet. Uh, most of the exhibit is original stuff, original documents, passports, camera, everything that you can think about spy operation. And uh, now, if you want to see the exhibit, you have to fly to St. Petersburg, Florida. St. Petersburg, the exhibit Florida. Is there. Yes, in the Holocaust Museum there. The exhibit will be there until the middle of July. Tell them, and then where does it go after that, Avner? After July? Uh, I'm not, I, I don't know for sure, but I think it will stay in, in Florida, in, in other place near Miami. Okay, so let me just, if I could, just, first of all, could you tell me how many years you're in the Mossad for, Avner? Uh, I served for, for 28 years, but also as a soldier, uh, I worked with the Mossad. Could you, I guess, you, can you get into anything, tell me any details of your service or where you were, or any interesting detail? I know it's obviously very classified, but... Uh, well, let's say that 10 years, I traveled around the world, and I lived in different places, Okay. And um, I cannot talk about uh, these years. I, I just can say that I have a, a great passion for uh, original, old, uh, historical objects. Okay. If I found a gun that the Mossad used in, in a very famous operation in the 50s or things like this, I always keep it. 
So I have a big uh, collection of this stuff. And uh, seven years ago, it was exactly 50 years for the opening of Eichmann trial in Israel. And I made um, a very nice exhibition, not big exhibition, but exhibition about the capture of Eichmann. And uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu came to the Mossad headquarters and he said, you should come with this exhibit after 50 years and you have to show it in the parliament in Jerusalem. So I came to the Knesset in, in Jerusalem. And from Jerusalem, uh, we moved and we built uh, again the exhibit in a professional way in the uh, Museum of Jewish People in Tel Aviv. And uh, it's, it's a really... It's a really great story because it's one of the most uh, important and was one of the most big operation, uh, Mossad operation, and it's also related to the uh, to Eichmann trial and also to the Holocaust. So that's why it's so important. That's why the story is so important. Absolutely, it's it's, it's a very important story. It's just so you, you as, as we basically we spoke obviously before this interview, and you had told me that. These files had really not been looked at very much before you got, they had sort of laid dormant for decades. Is, is that correct? And you sort of got involved and sort of brought them to light and this whole story. And the uh, obviously the story was known, but as far as the details and, for example, Jewish involvement in Argentina helped and things that were not known before, you sort of filled in some gaps and reviewed all the files in a way that had not been done before. Well, well actually, no one wrote. I'm writing a book now, now but no one wrote the whole story or the real story about this operation. The, the head of Mossad, Israel, that was also, uh, the operation was, uh, you say, on his watch. So he was the, the head of the operation and he wrote a book. And it was very rare that the former head of Mossad in the 70s writing a book about the Mossad operation. And it, it means that the Israeli government is taking uh, responsibility for, for this operation. So in the Mossad, they decided not to touch this story anymore. So the, so the Department of History didn't deal with the Eichmann. I'm the only one that, after 50 years, uh, started with uh, a very big research. And now one of my secrets is to meet people that come into the exhibit. Because people coming to the exhibit and they leave envelopes with pictures, uh, they send me emails with documents, and all the time, almost every week, I have new information about about the story. Right. I mean, and, and, and I, uh, I, yes, I read the House on Garibaldi Street, uh, Israel Harold's book, and, and basically, he. I mean, all respect, due respect to him, he left out a lot of the, some important details, like for example, Eichmann's son was dating. Uh, a blind person's daughter, that person contacts a prosecutor in Germany who contacts the Mossad. They send someone out first who then, they don't think it's Eichmann, then, they, then the guy insists. They send someone else out. They later identify Eichmann, and then they send the team in to get him. But it really was the persistence of this, this blind guy in Argentina that really got the ball rolling, kind of interestingly enough. Yes, this is, this is basically the story, but uh, he didn't mention, for example, um, uh, the story of Mengele, because they tried also to, to find Mengele at the same time. And he didn't talk about things that uh, relevant maybe until today, how the, how the Muslim works. So you don't want to, 
to talk about the Mossad operations or to, to show how the Mossad works in, in other operations. So, so when he wrote the book in the 70s, he didn't write the whole story. Okay. And uh, today, today after 58 years, uh, we can we can mention some 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 funny things like the head of Mossad asked someone from the Israeli embassy to go to the hospital and stay overnight there because he needed a document from someone that just came from hospital. And they put it on the pocket of Eichmann when they smuggled him to the airport. So there is actually more than 200 people that took part in the operation without knowing that they are part of the operation. Really? 200? Wow. Because there were, what, yes. there, there were, were, there were yes. 12 on the Israeli team, right? Something like that? Yes, but, but for example... Um, El Al uh, cooperate uh, with the Mossad, but most of the people didn't know that it's part of operation. Right. They really thought that this is a new destination, a lovely destination, Buenos Aires, and uh, they arrange everything to open a, a new office in uh, Buenos Aires and uh, to deal with the flight, and a special delegation headed by Abba Ibn that uh, didn't know about this operation, by the way. He was the head of a delegation that came in with the first flight of Elal, landing in Argentina and celebrating with them 150 years anniversary of Argentina. But after two days, actually after one day, Eichmann took off with this empty plane with Mossad agents. Right, right. So, so the plane comes in to, to, yes. to celebrate, and but basically, just just to rehash the story, they 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 find out that it was Eichmann. They get him outside of his house, I guess, on Garibaldi Street. That's why Easter Harold's book is named that. He was working at a Mercedes plant. He was he was named Ricardo Clement, if I recall. And they, they get yes. him. They put him in a safe house. W- one of the interesting things that I find is they ask him to sign a document, basically saying that he agreed to be brought back to Israel. Yeah. Uh, why do you think they would go through the formality yeah. of even asking him to do that? What was the What was the reason for that? Just to make it quasi legal, or okay. So as, as I told you about uh, the, the employee from the embassy that went to the hospital and he came back with the document. Uh, the Mossad didn't actually need this document because no one asked Eichmann to show any document when they smuggled him to the plane. But you have to make, to think about all the small details and build a big operation. Okay. Okay, you have to think about all the small. Now, uh, the prosecutor in Israel uh, told the head of Mossad that it would be, it can help if they have a document that he signed that he agreed to come. I see. Okay, because because uh, because everybody know that if you capture someone and you smuggle him, actually you force him to do it. Right. <laughs> you force him to do it. But uh, they decided that uh, maybe it will help them if suddenly they will stop by the police, so they can they can show them uh, this document and say this is a. Is a war criminal, and we want to take him for a trial. I see. So basically, it was just covering, dotting every I and crossing every T. Uh, it was just being super, super yeah. careful. Just like I guess all the Mossad team, as I understand it, they flew in under, under different different times, right? So they weren't all flying in together. Yes, and this is a, this is a very funny scene in the movie. Um, I'm consulting MGM that uh, uh, working now on a movie called. Operation Finale, the same like the exhibit, and uh, I spent two months in uh, Argentina, 
uh, on set of the movie and I also took a small part in some scenes in the movie because I told it I told the producer uh, Hitchcock used to take part in, in all the movies so Absolutely. why can I the former Mossad agent can be in, in a um, extra in a restaurant <laughs> or something like this so anyway when they shoot the scene that uh, all the agents is coming all the agents came with the labels on the suitcases Air France and I told them you cannot leave Air France. It doesn't make sense that all of them came in the same time with the same uh, uh, airline. Right, right. And uh, they uh, and they decided to take the name. I gave them a list of uh, airlines, and they made in the same time. They, I mean, after half an hour, they made a new labels for all the suitcases. So you, okay. so you said that was not historically correct. They would all have the same. It was just it was it was the kind of mistake that, that Mossad would not have done. Yeah, so, so that's why uh, it was important for me for the credibility of the movie. Even if it's a picture movie, uh, it was important to me to... For example, if we need a tattoo number from Auschwitz, okay, the tattoo number on the hand, I ask uh, for a real number, not to just write to, 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 five, to, to write five or six digits. And I check for, for a... For a reliable number, a real number. Interesting. Okay. okay. Yes. To, to and there's a lot of uh, a lot of examples. And the movie is coming out, by the way, on on this coming September 21st. You said Ben Kingsley is going to be in the film. I think you told me, right? Yes, Ben Kingsley is playing Eichmann, and Oscar Isaac is uh, playing Vimalkin, uh, the one that captured Eichmann. He is actually the main character in the movie. Okay. So, so and uh, I'm playing I'm playing a guy that uh, plays poker in a restaurant in Jaffa, and you can see me for twenty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll look for you. That'll be exciting to see it. So just to yeah. just to sum up. So yeah. obviously, I mean, they get Eichmann, they bring him to this safe house, they they bring him back in an LL plane that's ostensibly there to celebrate the 150th anniversary of the independence from Spain for yeah. Argentina. I actually met Abba Iban's wife once, Susie Iban, and she's a, a lovely person. And I've seen interviews with Abba Iban, and he just seems like a very gregarious, nice character. So he was probably the perfect person to send in uh, on that mission to then bring Eichmann out. And he didn't know, Abba Iban did not know what he was doing, correct? I mean, they didn't tell him. Yes. So, yeah, he didn't know, because, because that, that's the whole idea of, of uh, how to work in Mossad. I mean, everybody needs to know uh, only the small information that they need for the operation. Even the, for example, if the Mossad use five different safe houses for this operation, not all the agents knew about all the ha- all the different places. Really? Okay? Really? It was that yes. compartmentalized. Yes. Oh wow. Yes. Okay. So anyway, so 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 they, they get him on the plane, and what, we just have limited time. So I, I want—I do want to turn to Mengele, and then we can go back to the Eichmann if we have more time. But but yeah. obviously Mengele was 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 called the Angel of Death. He was at Auschwitz. He would torture people. He he would do experiments on twins. He did the most awful things, of course. And and I wanted to ask you really how close that team was. I've heard different reports that that basically Isser Harrell did not want to jeopardize the operation. They could have gotten uh, Mengele, but they didn't want to jeopardize the Eichmann thing. I mean, could you just tell me how close they were to getting Mengele in, in 1960? So let me tell you what happened. Okay. What happened is the Mossad knew uh, Mengele lived in Argentina. He got uh, two houses, one in Bariloche. It's like a thousand, 
2,000 kilometers from Buenos Aires. It's a very nice wood area, like Switzerland. Okay. And he had one house there and one house in Buenos Aires. And the Mossad got the address. And the Israel, the head of Mossad, came to the safe house to meet the agent. And he told them, hey, we have the address. Let's bring Mengele together with Ashman in the same airplane. Right. And they said, no, it's too dangerous because the mission that we got from Ben-Gurion is to bring one Nazi, one big name for one big trial. That's all. That's the mission. So they decided that immediately after Eichmann landing in Israel, they will try to, to, to capture Mengele and bring him with the ship. With the ship, okay. uh, there is a very big company until today named Sim, ZIM. And they actually prepare a ship. The ship was planned before Eichmann. If something happened with the plan, they would use the ship. And uh, after they smuggled Eichmann to Israel, they decided to use the ship and they built a small room, a written room in the ship. They decided to use the ship to make Mengele. But unfortunately, two days after Eichmann landed in Israel, the Prime Minister Ben-Gurion decided to make a, de a, de a declaration. And actually it was exactly yesterday on... Um, 58 years ago, it was on May 23rd. On May 23rd, he made his declaration in the Israeli parliament that Eichmann is in Israel. Now, the Mossad sent three agents, three agents from the Eichmann operation stayed outside Argentina in South America. And the mission was to come back, to find Mengele, to capture him. But when they saw, when one day they took a bus and they saw someone holding a newspaper and they saw the headlines, they couldn't, they couldn't read the Spanish, but they saw the picture of Eichmann and they, they realized that the story is out. And they decided to leave everything and come back to Israel. So actually because of Prime Minister Ben-Gurion made his announcement too early, the Mossad needed to cancel the Mengele operation. In this, in this round, they tried after in different places. They tried to find him for years. But in this case, they decided to, to stop the operation. And then I guess, I guess Mengele then goes to um, Paraguay and later ends up in Brazil where he drowns in the late 70s, as I recall. I just, it's, just amazing yes. to, it's just amazing to me and very sad that Mengele was, actually was alive when that movie The Boys from Brazil came out, which essentially was somewhat about his life. And then he, um, his son Ralph was visiting R O L F was visiting him in Brazil in the 1970s, traveling under his own passport, and yet uh, Mengele was not caught. It's just, um, it's just. I guess, I guess at that point, had the Mossad basically not was they not were they not looking as carefully then in the late late 70s as they were in the 60s? The Mossad followed the family. The Mossad followed his wife. She lived in Italy, and they they put microphone in her in her villa. And they try to find if she make a phone call with him. They also try to find him uh, by his son. But uh, as we know, it was a, at the bottom line. It was a failure. They could they couldn't find him. But but I believe that he knew that the Mossad is trying to find him, and, and he needed to uh, to escape all the time. And he didn't get a relaxed life. No, he didn't. And and, and by the way, and now by the way. 
was very simple to capture Eichmann because he got a routine. 15 years after the war, he got a routine. He used to come every day in the same bus. By the way, uh, last year I was there in Garibaldi Street and the house does not exist, but the bus station is there and the same line, the same bus. Really? Number two or three is there. Wow. The yeah. same, the same line. So Eichmann used to come every day in the same time, in the same hour, and he used to walk at 7.30 p.m. Uh, he walked from the bus station to his house. So they decided to wait for him and to capture him. Can I ask you, when he but was... It was easy. When he was working at Mercedes, yes. when he was using the name Ricardo Clement and working at Mercedes, did Mercedes know who Eichmann was? And number two, did the West German government, did their embassy in, in Buenos Aires, because as I understand it, Mengele was using his own name in the 50s, and did they know who he was? Did, did they know who Eichmann was in both the West German embassy in, in Buenos Aires and also at the Mercedes plant? Do you happen to know? Okay, I think that, first of all, Mengele used his real name. At the beginning, he came with a fake name, but after, after a few years, he started to use his real name. Now, Eichmann used all the time the fake name, but I believe that it, it wasn't a secret between the employees that he was a, a former Nazi. Okay. Okay? And um, I know that he walked in the line. He wasn't a manager or something like this. By the way, he was a complete failure. He tried to run a laundry. He, he, he tried to raise rabbits. He was a complete... He didn't, come, he didn't come with the money. He was very poor. Right. The, the first house, the first house that that he bought, he bought a piece of land and he, and he built the house in Garibaldi Street. It was a, it was a half complete house. It, it, it wasn't. Uh, he didn't uh, uh, had. He didn't have a time to, to 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 finish the house. If you remember the the wall, okay, it's not a finished house, but it was a very poor area, and um, he used to. He used to move from uh, from big house to smaller and smaller and smaller. So it was the idea that the people would not find him if he is moving from four rooms to two rooms. He lived with four kids and his wife in two rooms. Okay. Right. As I recall, so the Mossad, Mossad was surprised that someone who was such a, a big Nazi was living in basically a hovel. Um, they were surprised how modest the house was, if I recall. That's why that's why the Mossad uh, lose two years because when they came to the house at the first time, when the Jewish when the when the uh, Sylvia Herman dated with Eichmann, okay, the daughter that her father was a Holocaust survivor, when she dated uh, Eichmann's son Nicholas, it was fifty seven. And the Mossad said someone, and the, the one that came and saw the area say, it doesn't make sense that Eichmann is living in this poor neighborhood. And only after two years, on 59, uh, Dr. Fritz Bauer, the prosecutor from uh, Frankfurt, came to Israel with uh, additional information. He came with the name Ricardo Clement. And uh, with this name, they came again to the apartment in uh, Chacabuco in Olivos, this is the, the, ad, the address was uh, Chacabuco. They came to Chacabuco and they found an empty apartment, but they found two workers in the apartment that told them that the family just left, but uh, one of the sons is walking in the garage next door and they follow the, 
the son with his motorcycle, and they found the house in Gilead Oh, was, was that Nicholas Eichmann? No, it was uh, Dieter. Okay. One one of his uh, brothers. One of his uh, brothers. Yeah. Do you happen to know brothers. what the Eichmann children like? For example, I believe that Himmler's daughter is basically still a Nazi to this day. Do you happen to know what the Eichmann children are doing? Do they have they renounced their father the way I believe Ralph Mengele did, or do you happen okay, to? Okay, know? I know. Okay, so first let's talk about Eva Eichmann, his wife. Okay. She came in a secret. She came in a very very secret visit to Israel on April sixty two, two months before the hanging. Okay. And and she met him before uh, before the hanging. Uh, of course, she passed away. Also, two of the brothers, Nicholas and uh, I don't remember the other names, but uh, I know that two brothers are still alive, two sons still alive. One, and one is living in Germany, and the other one is also living in Berlin. He is a famous professor, and his name is Ricardo Eichmann. Really? Okay. Eichmann, yes. He he born in Argentina in '55. Okay. And Ashman gave him half of the fake name and half of the real name. Okay. So if you Google if you Google the name Professor Ricardo Eichmann, you will find if you will find him. Now he is against the Nazis and he don't have uh, any connection with Eichmann family. And actually, he came few times to Israel. Really? Okay. Yes. Yes. I'm... So it's a it's a rare story. It's a really rare story. Is that, did the Mossad look at any of the other big Nazis in Argentina? I mean, sorry, in South America, like there was there was a fighter pilot named, I think his name was Galad or Galand, who had helped a lot of these Nazis, and um, I think he had supported Mengele. Like, were there any other operations that, that were missed or any other big Nazis besides Mengele that they that they were not able to get that they were also searching for? Okay, so, okay, so uh, until today, the one that ordered the Mossad what to do is the prime minister. And, and Ben Gurion uh, decided that one big one big uh, trial is enough. Okay. He didn't want to. He didn't want to spend all the time and the money and and uh, one one uh, um, operation team just to try to cap uh, to capture Nazis because we got uh, problems with Egypt with the with the missiles industry and we got many many other problems. Right, and he decided not to not to deal with the Nazis, and uh, but but uh, on '65 the Mossad found uh, a famous Nazi that was responsible of killing almost uh, 20,000 Jews in the same night. He put most of them in uh, in the synagogues and put them on fire, and the Mossad found him in uh, I think it was Brazil. And uh, they uh, they made him come for a business to Uruguay, and they killed him in Uruguay. And uh, they left the body in a box with a letter from the people that will never forget. Oh, right, yes. So I... it was uh, it's, yes. So it was a sign for all the other Nazis that they have to escape all the time. That was the idea. I guess it's very dangerous, and they have to escape all the life. I guess one okay. of the, one of the big ones who got away is that uh, was it Alois Brunner who was said to be in Syria, uh, who's the Gestapo? Yes, yes. And the Mossad sent him envelope with the with the bomb. And it, 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 do you know and when he, he lost, died? He lost few fingers. He lost few fingers. 
And is he, is he dead now? Is that definitive that he's dead? I think, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, he passed away. But, uh, but he, he lost a few fingers. Right, so they were able to get him with the bomb. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, basically, it, it, it's an amazing... I mean, do you think Ben-Gurion was correct to basically focus not too much on, besides getting Eichmann, and just focus on the problems that Israel had? Was that, was that the only choice that w should have been made at that time, given the problems Israel faced in the 60s? Yeah, I, I think I think he got a, a huge vision, and uh, he got only one operation unit. Uh, there is a famous, uh, I, I mean, people don't don't remember today. Maybe you know the story about Yossel Schuchmacher. Sorry, it was a Jewish boy. Yossel Schuchmacher. He was a young Jewish boy that his grandfather smuggled into the state because he wanted to be a Haredi, to be a religious. Okay. And uh, so he smuggled him, and the parents didn't know where is the where is the son. Oh so yes, the grandfather yes, that yes. was a very very yeah. So uh, actually, the Mossad needed to stop another Mengele operation and send all the people to Europe and then to the state to find this boy. Orthodox Jewish, right? And the big Orthodox Jewish community really pushed yes. out on. Yes, I remember that well. Yeah, and that that took their eye off the ball so too. This is, so this is. Yeah, so this is a great example why the Mossad needed to stop in the middle of, a, of a, one of the Mengele operations and to send the people to Europe, uh, as far as I remember, to Brussels. And uh, the only Mossad woman that took part in the, the Eichmann operation, she, she was the main character in the Yosef Schuchmacher operation. And just to go back uh, to the because Eichmann... Because she was a religious... Sorry? Just to go back to the Eichmann thing, I remember one of the things in your exhibition, yes. you, you can see the actual booth that Eichmann was placed in in Israel during the trial, which I believe is a bulletproof booth. Is that correct? Yes, it's a bulletproof, and uh, it's funny that Israel needed to import the glasses from Germany. <laughs> That's really ironic, <laughs> yeah. They didn't have the bulletproof glass yes. at that time? Well, no, they didn't have it. You know that Eichmann was the only case that Israel ever hanged someone. Right, right. So they needed they needed to plan and uh, and plan everything and uh, prepare everything for this uh, big operation, big big trial. And um, unfortunately, now the the, the glass booth is uh, not with my exhibit. It was uh, in New York a few months ago, but now uh, we send it back to. Israel, because there is a big exhibition in the one of the in, in the Ghetto Fighter Museum, and they they own the glass booth, so they ask back. So we build a, a replica of uh, the glass booth, it's, but it's still very strong because we made a multimedia room that you sit and you're surrounded by big screens and you feel like you are part of the trial. How successful, Avner, would you say that trial was in bringing Holocaust awareness and? and stamping out Holocaust denial. Do you, do you feel that trial was as about as successful as it could be? Or were there any mistakes in the trial, or was it just all around a success? It was it was a turning point in Israel, because Holocaust survivors, when they came to Israel, they didn't want to talk about it. They feel ashamed, because all the troubles, all the Israelis born, they told them, why didn't you fight? And uh, they didn't talk with the kids, with the second generation. They didn't tell them what happened in the Holocaust. And now, Eichmann was, if you can say something 
good about him. He was a good example for the uh, for the machine of, of for the Nazi machine because he was in charge of all the trains and all the schedule logistics, right? And yes, that's why he was uh, connected to the most of the of the camps and uh, a special unit that the Israeli police established called the Zero Six Unit. They uh, divided Europe for 14 different places and put one officer in each uh, place. And they found uh, documents, pictures, proofs, uh, witnesses that agreed to talk. It wasn't so easy to find people that agreed to talk. It was a very big success. It was a, it was a very important uh, trial because during the trial, they wrote the book of the Holocaust. Avi, can I just ask you, just, just, just your opinion, do you think Eichmann, I mean, obviously he was no friend of the Jews, of course, but do you think he was personally very anti-Semitic, or do you just think he was just someone who would just follow orders and would conform to whatever the existing order was above him, whether it was killing Jews or killing someone else, or do you have any read into his character? I mean, didn't, didn't he know some Hebrew and go to Israel in the 30s, I believe, or Palestine? Yeah, he was he was in Israel in thirty six or thirty seven for six hours only. He came to Haifa, and he got um, just visa for six hours. Uh, but he, he was uh, um, when when he deal with the Jews when he got, for example, request for one name. Someone asked him to send one name because he was a, a scientist, a missile scientist or something like this. He made all everything that he can do to send this one uh, to Auschwitz and not to let him go. So it, it wasn't only sending trains. He was dedicated to his mission. And his mission was, he really believed that the mission is to kill all the Jews. So he was personally very vested in it. It wasn't just, as he said, following orders at the trial. I mean, he was personally... Of course. Okay. Um, well, he, he, he used to say in the trial that he was, a, uh, he was a small cog in the machine, but actually he was the machine, and we have to remember what uh, uh, his part in the killing of the most of the Jewish community in Hungary. He came to Hungary in '44 almost the end of the war, and in less than three months, he sent 90% from the Jewish community there to, to the death. I had a survivor of that actually on my program a few months ago, so that I know. Do you think between him and Heydrich that they were basically cut, cut from the same cloth? Because Heydrich was Eichmann's boss, I believe, right? Well, Heydrich was the one that uh, managed the, the Wannsee conference. Right. When they decided, and Eichmann was the one that wrote the protocol of the meetings. Did you notice? He was the one who kept the protocols of the meeting, and Heydrich actually arranged the meeting. But yes. wasn't Heydrich was above uh, Eichmann, wasn't he? Yes, of course. I, Eichmann was I, Eichmann was a, a lieutenant colonel only. Okay, he was a, a fifth in the hierarchy. He wasn't a, a big rank. Right. But uh, but if I try to to explain for kids uh, his role in the war, I always try to uh, compare it to airport. He wasn't the manager of the airport, but he was the manager of the tower. 
okay? Okay. The tower in the airport is, is one of the most important places in the airport. He was the manager of the, of the tower and to, to, to show his role in the, in the war. Avner, I, I know you have to go, so just to wrap up, just one question. When they had him in interrogation, yes. and those, those few days they had him before they shipped him out on the LL plane, some members of the of the yes. of the Israeli team, the Mossad, obviously probably found it very difficult to be so close to him. But did they find that Eichmann was generally cooperative while in custody? I didn't understand the question. Was when Eichmann was in Buenos Aires before he was shipped back to Israel, how, how what was his yes. de, what was his demeanor like to the Mossad team? Was he was he fairly complacent? Was he fairly co- was he was he fairly cooperative? Did they did they engage in any serious discussions with him? Did he did he try to justify his actions? Do you remember anything about what he discussed? While yeah, he... well, well, I know that it was very difficult for them because it was almost uh, 10 days uh, because El Al got a one-week delay. So instead of three days, it became 10 days. Okay. I know that uh, it, it was very difficult for them to fit him, uh, to take him to the toilet with the open door and uh, to stay with him and not. And 10 days is a long period of time when you stay in a villa in uh, Buenos Aires and you know that maybe the police is trying to find him and it was very dangerous for them. And uh, it was a very difficult time for them. But uh, I think we were lucky that the Eichmann's family didn't uh, go to the police. They tried to locate Eichmann by themselves. Did I did Eichmann try to defend himself during that time period? Did he? I I know at first he denied he was Eichmann. Then later, when he admitted who he was, did he try to just justify it the way he did at the trial and say he was just following orders? Did he did he engage in discussions with the team? Did he did he even? Well, he did uh, most okay. So most of the people couldn't speak German and they, and they they couldn't uh, talk with him. Okay, he was isolated in a, in a very small hidden room. They oh. built a hidden room. They, they took one of the toilets in the, in the house, in the villa, and they built walls. They surround the toilets with the walls and they put a small uh, bed. Okay. And it was a hidden room. Now, um, Eichmann um, made a mistake when, when they uh, questioned him. He suddenly uh, said his real number, his, his uh, soldier number or SS number, and they realized that he made a mistake and he. I can say that he cooperated with the, with the Mossad. He cooperated with them because he believed that he will come to Israel. He will be in, on trial. Maybe he will he will say that he was a small cog in the machine, and maybe he will uh, stay in jail for a few years, or maybe they will send him to Germany to stay in the jail for four years, and then he can be and then he can live again in, in Europe. I think that all the time he, he wanted to come back to. To, to Europe, to Germany. So he didn't realize so it. That, that, he, he, oh, okay. So he cooperated. He cooperated after it. He didn't realize what the end result was. Probably, he probably didn't even realize at that point what the end result was likely going to be, I guess. Yeah. I, I believe that he, he thought that he will, he will say that he followed order. Maybe they told him. They, maybe they told him we are going to like a fair trial, and the trial was very fair. It wasn't uh, a field trial. It was a, a long trial with witnesses, 
and he got a, a German lawyer. Well, Abner, I just want to say, I know you have to go. Thank you so much for your time. Do you want to mention the name of your website, too, um, w w while you're on, so people could uh, uh, go to it? Well, if people want to, co to communicate with me, my website is very easy. It's aavner.com. aavner.com. Okay? It's aavner.com. They can communicate with me and if they have any stories or any connection. I, I can say for the last thing that when I was in Cleveland, I got a phone call from someone from the Jewish community and he told me that his father was a policeman. He was one of the policemen that used to sit with Eichmann in the glass booth. So he came to the museum in, Cle in Cleveland and he gave me, his, fa his father passed away, he gave me his uniform, official police uniform that belongs to his father, that he wore during the trial. Wow, okay? interesting. And, and once yes. again, the, yes. your exhibition is in, it's in St. Petersburg, Florida until mid-July, you said, right? Yes. And what's yes. the name of the I mean, is museum again where it is? It's the... Um, it's the Holocaust Museum. It's Florida Holocaust Museum. Okay, Avner, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate a fascinating story. Thank you. And uh, have a wonderful see evening. See you in New York. Yeah, I'm in New York, and I'll see, see you, you in New York. See you in New York. Thank you so much, okay. Avner. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Hi, I'm Janice Ian. Do you remember how excited you were at the start of summer every year and how the summer just started to drag on after a few months and you couldn't wait to get back to school? See your old friends, make new friends, get new books and a new locker and a clean slate? Well, you should have been excited about music class, too, because that was a special room where you went to sing, perform with your friends, and learn all kinds of interesting stuff about great composers, instruments, different kinds of music and songs. We remember our music teachers because they were so passionate about helping us learn to love music. They helped to spark a love for listening to notes and voices and rhythms that continues to enrich our lives even today. I bet your kids feel the same way about music class. Ask them and make sure they get involved with music in school and in their lives. A PSA brought to you by MENC, the National Association for Music Education, and the National Anthem Project, the campaign to restore America's voice through music education. Music, part of a sound education. Today's entertainment has been brought to you in part by Galito's Restaurant. Galito's specializes in Portuguese cuisine. In addition to these delicacies, Galito's offers pasta, steaks, seafood, and chops. A full-service bar includes wines, beers, and spirits to complement your meal. Galito's offers casual ambiance at the bar or their dining room. Galito's also has a private banquet room 